Tonight's show of sexual magic is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Are you having some problems in the bedroom? Or maybe you just want to spice up your sex life. Go to AdamandEve.com and use the promo code DRINKINGBROS to get 50% off one purchase along with free shipping. Peruse the catalog with your loved one and see if anything interests you. At AdamandEve.com, promo code DRINKINGBROS gets you 50% off in free shipping. You're welcome. Also, HardAFSeltzer.com. Some of the finest, hardest seltzer in the land. It's 8%, so you know it's good. You'll be blacked out within an hour if you drink three of these. Or, if you're a real hombre, you can gun through a whole case. We ship right to your house in 41 states, and we're live in over 100 stores in Tennessee. Go to hardafseltzer.com today and check out the store locator. Let's start the fucking show. I'm broke and ain't got a dime. I'm broke and I ain't got a dime. I'm broke and ain't got a dime. I await to see the doctor standing over me, snapping his fingers in front of my face, staring at me intently. It takes me a moment to assess my surroundings, but finally I recognize that I'm at home in my own bed. My leg has been bandaged where I got shot, and my cock is tied down to my other leg. Obviously, it was a preventative measure, so the doc wouldn't be knocked unconscious by a stray boner while tending to my well-being. How are you feeling, Mr. Street James? Pretty fucking shitty, dude. Well, I don't mean to pull my pants down and dump out on you anymore, but there's a rumor in town that the law is coming for you. What law? We don't have fucking law in this town. Loretta walks in hurriedly, wearing a long black dress. Good. You're finally awake. Get dressed. People will be arriving for the funeral soon. The funeral is Saturday. How long have I been sleeping? Three days. She says flatly. Awesome. Doc, I'm definitely going to need more of that laudanum. I've left four bottles for you and your son. Daniel is alive? Where is he? He's sleeping in his room. It's a miracle. He was shot 63 times. I've never seen anything like it. Well, let's not forget that I was shot too. Loretta shakes her head and says, Daniel's not saying what happened. So maybe you can fill me in on why our son was shot 63 times and you were only shot once. He's really not that nimble. Lovely. Help me put the food out for the funeral. It starts in 20 minutes, so get up. As she walks the doctor out, I rise up out of bed, buck naked, limp over to the window where I see people starting to arrive out front. I spot Ron and Sheila pulling up on their gimpy horse, so I pull the curtain all the way back and make sure they both see me in all my glory. Sheila waves at me, and I salute her back by smacking my dong against the window. Once I'm satisfied with Ron's level of discomfort, I take a swig of laudanum and begin to get dressed. Getting dressed for your own son's funeral is really tough. As a parent, it's something you never prepare yourself for. Staring into my closet full of suits, I want something that says, This motherfucker is hard, but isn't trying too much. 
I finally decide on an all-black ensemble made entirely out of bison skin, accessorized with bison skin boots. As I limp down the stairs, I see that Loretta has everything beautifully organized. I stuff a fistful of deviled eggs into my face on the way outside to greet everyone. Standing in the sweltering heat waiting for me are the town preacher, Pastor Jenkins, my remaining sons, and Ron. Pastor Jenkins, who was super fucking old, looks up at me hesitantly before raising his hand. Speak, your high power, I instruct him. St. James, I don't know how to tell you this, but we're gonna need some extra pallbearers. Why? Your son weighs more than 800 pounds. Shit. I forgot about that. Typically, that amount of weight wouldn't be a problem for me to carry on my own. But with me being shot in the leg, I can't get any lift out of my quads. Are there any more dudes here? Just a few boys from the blind school down the road. We could yell out our steps in unison, Pastor Jenkins meekly says. I wish I could unhear what you just said. Jesus, man. All right. I guess everyone is going to have to man the fuck up today. I'll do the heavy lifting in the front and everyone else fall behind. Ron, don't you dare let that back end fall or it's your ass. I spit in my hands, then chalk up over by the porch. Yes, I keep chalk out in front of my house for when I have to lift heavy shit. Curly was a freak of nature lifting that wagon without chalking up. Full disclosure, I don't have old man strength right now. Instead, I just possess a lot of God-given raw natural power. Plus, I'm on opium, so I could literally lift a fucking bank vault. After a sweet chalk sesh, I lift the casket up with ease and everyone falls in behind me holding up the back. We walk toward the big oak tree down by the river while Loretta starts playing a set of 17th century bagpipes that her parents brought over from Ireland. A smattering of people begin weeping, including Sheila. Another woman in the front row starts peeling potatoes by hand, which is apparently a tradition at Irish funerals. With only about 10 yards remaining on our walk, I feel the back half of the casket slipping. Behind me, I hear grunting and labored breathing. Turning back, I see Ron's arm shaking, desperately trying to hold up the casket. It falls to the ground, and everyone gasps, including Loretta, who blows out a bagpipe and starts crying hysterically. God damn it, Ron, what the fuck did I tell you? No, you're, you're right. I totally deserve this one. He says as he gets on all fours and assumes a beating position. The pastor runs over and grabs my arm after I've already taken off my belt. You don't want to do this here, St. James. No, I definitely do. Why don't you take your goddamn hand off me and go put one foot in that grave? St. James, this day is about totally Mexico. Loretta cries out. I see the tears in her eyes and decide to postpone Ron's beating. Instead, I take a pool of laudanum and lift up the casket, fireman carry style, over my shoulder, walking it over on my own. People clap for my bravery as I lower it into the pre-dug grave. One woman even flashes me a beaver when I walk up to give my eulogy. What can I say about our beloved son, totally fucking Mexico street chains that already hasn't been set? 
He was a magical boy with big hopes and dreams. He was destined to change the world. His unique vision and outlook on life were things to be cherished by all who met him. Well, I can't really say that because he was taken from us at four years old. So, who knows what the fuck he was thinking about. What I can tell you is that he had two arms and two legs. Ten fingers and ten toes. He had blonde hair and a pretty ripped physique for a four-year-old. He loved to spend his free time, which was all the time, playing outside with my freshly sharpened axes, swimming in the river with heavy rocks tied to his legs, or just fooling around in our knife drawer in the kitchen. Normal kid stuff, you know? That little son of a bitch had a heart of gold that was only eclipsed by his golden spirits. So today... As his tiny little body gets lowered into the ground forever, I want you to take solace in the fact that the men who did this were killed in brutal fashion also. All 17 of them were shot dead by me, a 70-year-old man painted as a clown, and another one of my sons, Daniel, who was shot 63 times in the altercation. I'm proud of you, Daniel, for killing that retard. I point up to Daniel, who sits in a full body cast with his legs stuffed outside the window. He nods and tips his bottle of laudanum toward me and we cheers. I know what you're thinking. Doesn't senseless violence breed more senseless violence? To those people thinking that bullshit, I ask you. Is touch not a sense? Because right now my dead son will never get to be touched again. Not by his family. Not by a woman. And certainly not by a stranger who just wants to party. So keep your thoughts to yourself and don't ever voice them if you're thinking shit like that. If you want to ask me how many fucks I give that those men are dead, the answer is zero. Did I kill one or two of them first? Probably. Shit gets wild when grown men are drinking. That's not an excuse to kill an innocent child. If you have a problem, handle it man to man. I wink at Ron, who looks away. Mentally, my... Wife and I are going to be really fucked up over this for years and years to come. But that's what life is. It's overcoming tragedy by inflicting it on someone else. I'd like to close my eulogy with one solitary wish for my special tiny dancer. DFM, may you never know the pain of chafing ever again. For in heaven... Your sweet nuts will forever be cradled by the powdery hands of angels. I cut my hands together and blow kisses to the crowd with the remaining chalk dust on my palms. Everyone stands up and erupts in applause. There's not a dry eye in the house. Pastor Jenkins asks everyone to bow their heads in a moment of silence. As they bow, I walk over to totally fucking Mexico's open casket and pull out a mallet I have stuffed in the back of my pants and bang it on the statue, which invokes the sound of a church bell ringing. After the fourth and final gong, one for every year of his life, I'd take one last sip from my bottle of laudanum, which proves to be a little too much. Look, there are a lot of questions surrounding what happens next. Most people think that I am so stricken with grief that I hurl myself onto his casket, but in truth, I black out and fall on top of it. I can feel people throwing roses and potato peelings on top of me as they pass by. 
The one thing I can be sure of is that for the first time in my life, I am truly grieving. After an hour of my being blacked out on top of the casket, Loretta leaves me there and continues the reception inside. I probably would stay there all night if I weren't awakened by the woman who flashed me her beaver during my eulogy. She is now standing over me with her legs spread wide apart, straddling both sides of the grave, whispering down to me. Hey, hey, look up here. Can you see my vagina? I open my eyes. Of course. You're not wearing any panties. I can see your whole birth canal. Good. Do you want to screw? I nod my head yes, and she climbs down inside the grave with me. I may be groggy as shit, but I can recognize a sweet beave anywhere. Within seconds, she unzips my pants, puts my cowboy hat on her head, and jams my dick inside of her. I move my hand up her dress and squeeze her tits as she rides me, slowly starting to come to life. Now that I'm fully awake with the realization of where I'm at, I stop her. What's wrong? She asks. This. We're fucking on top of my dead kid's caskets. I've done a lot of horrific shit in my life, but this one takes the quadriplegic's kick. Does it? Or is it the ultimate send-off? What better way to feel alive again than to have sex on top of death? Your son would want this. Wow. This woman is fucking crazy, but she makes a great point. I don't even have a counter-argument, so I just shrug my shoulders and let her continue. She grabs my hands and then slams them down on the casket above my head. Just lay there and grieve for me, baby. She picks up her pace and little chunks of dirt from inside the grave begin falling all around us. I'm not gonna lie, this really is helping me grieve and I'm actually starting to get emotional about it. I look up toward the sky and see totally fucking Mexico's spirit running around the grave in circles with my steed. The two of them are laughing. This strange gypsy woman combined with all this laudanum has taken me to a different planet. When I climax, it feels like a euphoric rainbow is shooting out of my dickhole. She clutches a fistful of roses and orgasms after me, which is a first... The thorns of the stems cause her hands to bleed and she holds them over my mouth, letting her blood drip down into it. This is fucking life. She moans. I look into her eyes and scream, Mi vida loca. A strange man peeks his head into the grave and destroys my moment of unadulterated bliss. He has a gun drawn, aiming it at my head. I go to grab my own guns, but my pants are around my ankles. Are you St. James Street, James? You can see my dick and balls, can't you? Of course I'm him. I get up and pull my pants back on. Who the fuck are you? He smiles and pulls out a copper badge. I'm the new sheriff in town, and you're wanted for murder. Leave the guns and put these on. He throws down a pair of handcuffs, which I properly throw back at him. Let me get out of my dead son's grave first, asshole. As the strange gypsy woman and I climb out of the grave, I notice the entire reception has stopped and come outside. Loretta stands on the front porch watching me and who I believe to be her friend dusting the dirt off our clothes. A look of disgust and confusion washes over her face. 
What the hell is going on? She asks. I'm Sheriff Madison, and this man is wanted for multiple murders. I was appointed by the U.S. Marshals this morning to curb the violence in this town, so I'm taking him in. Put the cuffs on, sir. Or what, I ask. He draws his other gun and points it at me as well. You're wanted dead or alive. It's your choice. All right. I choose your death. I look up at Daniel, who was a street howitzer aimed at the sheriff. The sheriff's eyes grow wide with fear at the sight of a young boy in a full body cast holding a shotgun. Although you can barely see his face from inside the casket, you can make out a smile. Boom! He pulls the trigger, blasting the sheriff square in the chest. The entire reception retreats in horror as he hits the ground, bleeding. I kneel down next to him. Don't ever try to arrest someone at their son's funeral. Ever. On the positive side, though, you won't be able to tell my wife that I was fucking that weird girl on top of his caskets. Rest in peace, Spidercock. As the sheriff takes his last breath, he holds out his hand for me to hold, and I casually spit in it. This isn't a fucking cotillion, Holmes. His head falls back on the ground and he dies. I then kick his dead body, because why the fuck not? Everyone please continue to grieve. Ron, come dig a grave for this bastard. There's a shovel out in the barn. Ron shakes his head and says, You know the marshals will come looking for you after this. You can wake up tomorrow in your bed or in a ditch, Ron. It's your choice. So shut the fuck up and go dig a grave for this asshole. Oh, and fill in the dirt on totally fucking Mexico's grave too while you're at it. That will make up for your casket failure earlier and we'll call it easies. Walking up to the house, I wink at Daniel up in the window and he winks back at me and puts down the shotgun. The kid is quickly becoming my favorite son. Not only did he take 63 shots like a boss, but now he's icing other people who threaten me. Loretta stops me on the porch on the way in. When is the killing going to stop, St. James? I don't know. I don't have anyone on tap for tonight, so I guess now? Uh, wait, there's always the off chance that Ron gets out of line and decides to grow a pair, so maybe him? But that's probably it. Do you want more of your family to get killed? Is that it? Everything I do is to protect this family. I'm gonna go upstairs and check on our son who was shot 63 times. I grab the remaining tray of deviled eggs and head up the stairs. With the sun setting, I pull up a chair and sit next to Daniel. Both sets of our legs dangle out the upstairs window, his obviously set in a body cast. We drink Londum together and watch the sun go down. From up here, I can tell that he was definitely watching me fuck that weird girl in the grave. He offers me any part of his cast to wipe her blood off my face from the roses. I oblige with his right arm. <laughs> Whenever people tell me that I'm not a good father, I often tell them of this moment. This is way better than teaching him to ride one of those bicycles with a huge tire in the front and a tiny one in the back. I put my arm around his body cast, and we quietly nod off together in a drug-fueled haze. The following morning, I wake up to the vibrant sounds of birds chirping and a warm summer breeze blowing across my face. I have my arm around my son, and there's urine all over the hardwood floor from both of us blacking out on laudanum last night. 
This tranquil moment is suddenly interrupted by two sets of shotgun blasts. Out in the yard, I see 30 U.S. Marshals on horseback with their guns pointed at the house. I hear the click of Daniel's shotgun as he wakes up, too. St. James Street, James, we have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of a sheriff and 19 Schlager brothers. Come out with your hands up or we will burn the house down. One of the marshals yells out. We can take them, Dad. Daniel says with a slight opium slur. Probably, but they would kill the rest of our family. I'm willing to take that risk if you are. Loretta comes running in holding our youngest son. St. James, there's a bunch of U.S. Marshals outside, and they say they're going to burn the house down if you don't come out. Jesus, did you two piss yourselves? It appears so. Can you mop this up after I leave? I'm going to let them take me in after I take a bath. Dad, no! Daniel says. I have to, Daniel. I don't want anything else to happen to you guys. Don't worry, it will probably be a slap on the dick and then they'll let me go. Here, take this. With pride, I hand him my bottle of laudanum and stand up. Are you coming out or not, St. James? Another marshal yells. I stick my head out the window and yell down, Yeah, I'm coming out. Just give me a quick 45 to wash off my privates. The marshals all look at each other confused. As a show of good faith, I'm going to throw down my guns, okay? The marshals nod as I unbuckle my holster and hold my guns up. When I toss the holster out the window, it takes a weird hop off the roof and the guns hit the ground. They both fire simultaneously, killing two more marshals. Their two bodies slump over, falling off their horses onto the dirt. You just killed fraternal twins, St. James! Another marshal screams. Shit! Sorry. Total accident. I'm gonna wash up now. We're adding them to your murder count. What the fuck ever? Before I take off my clothes and head for the bath, I kiss Loretta on the cheek and instruct her to paint the crotch area on Daniel's cast from yellow back to white. A parent's job is never done, you know? An hour later, after a good cock soak, I depart the house with my hands in the air. The marshals approach me with their guns drawn and place the handcuffs on me. They pull one of their horses over and instruct me to get on it so they can lead me into town. Fuck that. I ride my own steed into town and you're going to have more blood on your hands, you hear? <whistles> Daniel whistles from above, his shotgun trained at them. With half of his face now frozen from taking so much laudanum, it looks kind of crazy so they decide to let me ride my steed. I give him a two-finger whistle and on cue, he slow trots out of the barn. Looking back at the house, I see Lou standing on the porch waving at me, surrounded by the rest of my kids. She mouths the words, thank you. Daniel holds up the bottle of laudanum and pours out a sip in respect. It finally sets in that I'm really going to jail. As we make our way through town, everyone stops and gawks at me, surrounded by the marshals. I take it all in, knowing that this image of me riding to jail wearing handcuffs will only cause more people to fear me. The marshal's horses hit the end of Main Street and slowly come to a halt. Curiously, I've never been to this part of town before. Oh, by this part of town, I mean any building or structure past the whorehouse.
This is a newly built jail at the end of the street, a block down from the whorehouse, so I haven't been here yet. A guy on a ladder is finishing painting the word jail on the building in black letters when the marshals ask me to get down from my steed. You want us to take your horse back to your house for you? You're gonna be here a while. One of the marshals says to me, No, he can find his way home if he chooses. Maybe he has a date in town tonight. I try not to put any limits on him. That's real funny. We'll see how funny you are from inside a jail cell. Do you guys need more time to paint the word cell above it first? One of the marshals grabs me and leads me through the front door. On the way in, I shake my leg twice and an apple rolls down from my pant leg resting on my boot. I kick it up in the air to my horse, who catches it mid-air in his mouth. You keep an apple tucked inside your jeans? A marshal asks. I didn't know it was there until I stood up. My cock is like an elephant trunk. Sometimes it just reaches up and grabs fruit unbeknownst to me. Come on, asshole, he says, leading me in. Looking at the decor, you can tell that it was probably an old blacksmith shop before this. They throw me inside an old wrought-iron 10-by-14-foot jail cell and slam the door. A janky bed, a bucket of water to wash up in, and a hole in the ground to piss and shit in are all that await me. In the cell next to me, I see a fat Mexican man taking a grump in his hole while eating a half-open can of beans at the same time. A few flies swarm around him and the smell is making a mural of the Virgin Mary that he has painted above his bed cry. One of the marshals sees me shake my head in disgust. It's a miracle, isn't it, St. James? He says as he laughs and points at the painting. You ain't in that log mansion out in the woods anymore, are you, boy? Another one says. I quickly pull out my buck knife from the back of my jeans and whip it through the jail cell bars, pinning a marshal's shirt to the wall. Let me make one thing clear to you. If I wanted you dead, you'd be dead by now. With that little reminder, I walk over to the bed and lie down. Keep an eye on him, deputy. If he so much as shit's wrong, shoot him. The marshal I pin says. How does someone shit wrong, I think to myself as the marshals leave. Suddenly, the fat Mexican dude farts and it sounds like a phone book is being ripped in half. The wall behind his makeshift toilet inside his cell had suddenly splattered like a can of chocolate syrup exploded in a campfire. I guess my question has been answered. How long am I going to be in here, deputy? There'll be a trial in about a week or so, he says. What? I will be wearing your skin and pretending to be you if I'm in here that long. Nothing I can do about speeding up your trial. One word. Conjugal. Them shits better be allowed then. I might be able to let that slide. Good. I'm sure I'll have a lot of visitors. My steed peeks his snout through the bars of my window. I look up and see his sad eyes and stand by my bed, leaning into him, nose to nose. When he exhales, I inhale. That's how fucking close we are. It's been a real fuckery the last couple days, hasn't it? Why don't you go home and get some rest? He shakes his head no. Shh. I'm going to be fine. The children need you. 
Plus, I smuggled a full bottle of this in, I say, pulling a bottle of laudanum out of my boot and waving it in front of his face. He neighs with excitements. Now go on and get your big, beautiful dick out of here. He nods and slowly trots off. As I watch him right away, he stops and lifts his front legs in the air and neighs as loud as possible up toward the heavens. I swear to God I'd rather lose another kid than lose my steed. The following morning, I'm awakened by the deputy, telling me that I have a visitor. As my eyes adjust to the sun, I see the Mexican shitting. Again. Hey, Chubbs, you shit in that hole one more time today and I'm going to bury you in it, comprende? I say to him sternly. What am I supposed to do if I have to go to the bathroom? I reach into my jeans pocket and pull out a small sewing kit and toss it to him. You better start sewing your asshole shut. Cheek to cheek. A classic backstitch should work. He looks at me defeated as the deputy walks back in with my first visitor. To my surprise, it's Sheila, and she's carrying a picnic basket. She's definitely not the first person I was expecting to come visit me, but she'll do. I haven't had sex in almost 12 hours, so obviously my jeans can barely contain my cock right now. To her credit, Sheila looks prettier than usual and a lot more done up than the last time I saw her. She squeezes the bars of the jail cell with her free hand and softly cries. I get up out of bed and walk over to comfort her. Why are you crying? Does seeing me behind bars make you sad? No, it's not that. The smell in here is horrific. I feel like my eyes are melting. I look over at the fat Mexican and shake my head. What? I'm doing it! He screams as he lies down on his small bed and begins sewing his ass cheeks together with the sewing kit I gave him. Hopefully the stink will clear out soon, Sheila. I'm just worried about my tear ducts returning to normal. She says as she wipes her eyes. I'm not a doctor, so I can't promise you anything. What are you doing here? Well, I was just on my way into town to bring Ron a turkey sandwich, and I thought I'd check on you. I brought you some food in case you were hungry, too. She opens the picnic basket to reveal blackened stuffed flounder, fresh cornbread served in a hollowed-out gourd, and three different freshly baked pies, pumpkin, blueberry, and apple. I grab her face and gently stroke her cheek with my thumb, wiping away her tears. She presses her head up against the bars. Sheila. I know, St. James. I shouldn't have. Stop. Yes, you should have brought me all this food. I lean my head against the bars, too. Is that the only reason you came here? To give me a delicious meal that you would never cook for your own husband? She shakes her head no. Through her tears, she whispers, I need it. Please. You need what, Sheila? I want to hear you say it. I need that... pork sword. She whispers as she points down to my cock. Of course I know damn well what she needs, but it's nice to hear it out loud sometimes. I grab a tin coffee mug and run it against the bars as loud as I can. Hey, boss man, can you let the lady in? Is she your wife? The deputy screams back. Nope. Then no, 
She can't come inside your cell. Anything you want to do outside of it is your business. Sheila and I look at each other, realizing this probably isn't a good idea. So instead, we decide to go with doggy style and forego any attempt at missionary. She turns and hikes up her dress, pressing her ass into me while gripping the cell bars. This gives her great leverage. After the first few thrusts, I let out a piercing shrill like something out of Greek mythology as I orgasm. Sheila turns and looks at me confused. Oh my god, what just happened? Sorry? It's just, you are the first woman I've been with since I've been in jail. You get it, right? She pushes her dress back down and turns to kiss me. Of course. I'm so sorry. I didn't know I was the first. You've been in here almost half a day. Don't fucking tell anybody about this. Come back in a few days and we can have a longer sesh, all right? She kisses my forehead and leaves. I'm so famished that I immediately start grabbing food out of the picnic basket and stuffing it into my face. The fat Mexican is staring at the food like a homeless man's dog. After mouthing to himself practice sentences of what he's going to say, he musters up the courage to ask if he can have some. Do you think I could have your leftovers? Not a fucking prayer, my man. I can still smell you. Keep sewing. Please, I'm so hungry. Tell you what, if you go the entire week without taking a shit until I go to trial, maybe I'll give you some food, okay? Okay. Look, I'm really fucking full right now and I just need a nap. So I'm going to need you to just shut the fuck up for the rest of the day. The second I close my eyes and drift off, I hear the deputy scream out, St. James, you have another visitor! I look up and see the batshit gypsy woman from the funeral. She's also carrying a large picnic basket on one arm while staring at me as if she's known me for years. Oddly, she suddenly begins weeping too. I put my hand through the bars and stroke her cheek exactly the same way I did with Sheila. Are you crying because of the smell? I ask. No, my tears are from seeing you confined to the cell. I overheard your wife explaining to your kids why you were in prison when I was hiding outside of your window today. I'm sorry, did you just say you were outside my home? It was an accident. I dozed off in the bushes while I was watching your kids sleep last night. Here, I brought you some pies and some freshly made authentic burritos hand-rolled in Mexico. Thanks, but I'm super full. Just throw those out in the street. I don't have any use for them. The fat Mexican starts breathing heavily, trying to suck his tears back into his mouth while biting his lower lip like a baby. He bashes his head into the wall over and over again as I rest my forehead against the gypsies through the cell door. I look deep into her eyes, still trying to place who the fuck she is. By the way, who are you? Are you friends with my wife? Never met her. Truthfully, I'm just a gypsy who travels from town to town, reading obituaries and attending funerals. Usually I fuck the husband, brother, father of the deceased. Occasionally I'll hang around outside their house for a few days afterward. That way I feel like I really know them. Why? I get off on it. It's like I have my own secret throughout the day. That's pure fucking insanity. Look... I appreciate the food and whatnot, but the deputy won't let you in because you're not my wife. That's cool. 
I just wanted to take you in my mouth through the bars. Someone has already been there earlier, I say as I point down at my crotch. To my chagrin, this somehow makes her even more into it. Never one to disappoint, I unzip my pants and she begins to fellash me through the bars. Whoever this gypsy woman is, she's a fucking pro. After about 20 minutes of her working me over like a mime-pulling rope, I explode in her mouth. Upon completion, she puts her index finger up to her lips and begins peeing all over the floor. When she finishes, she slaps me across the face and leaves without saying a word. <clears throat> Exhausted and depleted, I walk over and collapse on my bed. Just as my eyes close again, I hear the deputy yell out, St. James, you have a visitor! Jesus Christ, who is it? When I look up, I see Loretta standing there, holding yet another picnic basket. Oh my God, you look like hell. I didn't know it was going to be this bad in here. Please kill me. Just fucking kill me. The Mexican screams as he tries to cut his wrists open with a butter knife. Realizing it's too dull, he throws it on the ground and takes off running headfirst into the wall, knocking himself unconscious. I shrug my shoulders at Loretta. This is what I've been dealing with in here for the last 12 hours. Am I standing in urine? It smells like urine. Yeah, let me get you out of that. Boss man, this is my wife. Come let her in. The deputy takes his sweet-ass time walking back to my cell to open the door. He pulls out a giant key ring off his belt and fumbles through what looks like a thousand skeleton keys before selecting one and opening the door. When Loretta enters, he slams the door behind her. One hour with the missus, St. James, he says as he leaves. We walk over to the bed and I put my head in her lap. She runs her fingers through my hair and stares deeply into my eyes with a sad look on her face. I know what this look means. Because I've seen it 4,203 times. Do you want me to make love to you? I know you've been in here a while. That's really sweet, Lou. But honestly, I just want you to lay with me and hold me right now. This is the first and last time that I've ever said those words to a woman in my entire life. Dead serious. After doing back-to-back -back loads, I'd really be struggling to keep the clothesline up, and I just want to get some sleep. She lies down next to me and puts her head on my chest. I can feel her tears soaking through my shirt as I close my eyes. She whispers to me sweetly. It really fucking stinks in here. I know. Next time you come, can you bring a sewing kit with more string? It's a long story. An hour later, the deputy politely wakes us up by banging all of his keys against the cell bars. As Loretta gets up to leave, I grab her ass with a strong squeeze, nothing playful about it. She'll definitely masturbate to that ass grab later, trust me. There's nothing like being groped by a full-fledged criminal behind bars to send her home with an itchy middle finger around the panty line area later. After hitting the bottle of laudanum... I get maybe another hour of sleep, and then the deputy wakes me up yet again. You have another visitor, St. James. Deep in a laudanum haze, I walk over to the cell door. Who is it? It's me. 
I'm your visitor. He says, standing there. What? I want to suck your cock, man. What the shit? Fully awake now, upon further examination, I realize this isn't the deputy. It's the crazy gypsy woman wearing all the deputy's clothes, including his oversized boots. She's also wearing what appears to be his shaved-off mustache, which is glued above her upper lip. As she fumbles with the keys to let herself in, I freak out. What the fuck are you doing? You can either stick your dick through the bars again, or I'm coming in. She says, still in a deep male voice. What happened to the deputy? I knocked him out with chloroform and took his clothes. Have you ever been blown by a deputy? No. She laughs. <laughs> awesome. This will be a new experience for both of us. Because I've never blown anyone as a deputy. Exciting, isn't it? Not really. Use that fear and release it into my mouth when you jizz. If you have to hit me afterward, I want you to know I welcome it. At this point, I am physically afraid for my life and I let her blow me as the deputy. It isn't easy to orgasm, let alone maintain an erection, but I do it. After I come, she grabs my right hand and decides to smack herself in the face with it. She then looks up at me in shock and walks out, twirling the key ring on her finger. Lights out, St. James. Still using her deep deputy voice. This concludes my first full day in jail.